Good morning, everyone. I usually don't like the introduction using doctor, but it is going to be tied into the financial stewardship we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about today is not a secular class. We're going to talk about a way to worship the Lord. This is a way that's not typically discussed in church, or if it is discussed, it's to exploit the sheep. We're not here to do that today. We're here to show you how, through God's word and my testimony, what God wants to do in your life, but you have to allow him to do it. So I'll tell you how I started off. I'm going to take you on a little journey. So I was born in New York City to two immigrants from Haiti. My dad was a transportation engineer, basically a cab driver. <laughs> and my mom was a maintenance engineer, basically housekeeping. So as a kid, you come up with these interesting ways of describing what your parents do when you're not too excited about what their job is. But the one thing I learned from what they did, neither one graduated high school. I learned from them work ethic, doing what's necessary to feed your family. Didn't grow up in a Christian background. At age six or seven, lo and behold, instead of me going off to school, I'm on a plane to a third world country. So I'm off to Haiti, third world country, don't know the language, know nothing about the culture, but I do know one thing, people have nothing. I'm surrounded in poverty. And for many, many years, I asked the Lord, why? Why did you bring me here? Through the course of my life, I realized it's not about why. God's going to show me at some point why that is. But I had nightmares about being there. Just imagine, seven-year-old kid, you don't know anyone, you don't speak the language, you don't know anything about the culture, and you think you see dirt poor here, you haven't seen anything until you've been to a third world country. So I'm living there for about 10 years, not knowing what the plan is, praying for the day to come back to the U.S. because I realized that there's absolutely no future for me here. At a young age, the Lord, looking back, I can say the Lord put this on my heart. He wanted me to be a doctor. And though for many years I was on my mom's case about watching soap operas, that's how I got the idea. We're watching all my children. The surgeon comes out. He's talking to the family about how he just saved their kid's life. The family's so excited, so grateful. And I remember sitting there in front of that TV saying to myself, that's what I want to do. I want to save people's lives. Oh, well, I'm a dermatologist. I pop pimples, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I will tell you this. 
The people who are the most grateful are the people whose melanomas I've taken off. Because that is deadly. But anyway, fast forward, I'm in New York now. And I'm going to college, praise God. I came out of college debt-free. Now I'm going to med school. Now, of course, kids in 2012 are a lot smarter than I was back then. Because everybody's probably thinking, okay, how much is college going to cost? How much is med school going to cost? How much money am I going to make when I get out? When is the return on investment? I wasn't thinking anything about that. I was simply consumed with my goal. I had a goal in mind, and I was going to press forward regardless of what that entailed. So get to med school. The Lord opened the door for me to Stanford. Wonderful school. Wouldn't have traded anything but it's 50 grand a year. And I have no money, my parents have no money. So I figure, okay, well, I'm gonna do what I need to do is borrow money. So I got a combination of grants and scholarships and I borrow money. So I'm there, I meet my wife, she's doing the same thing, borrowing money. So we get out of med school, we move down to Thousand Oaks, I've got a two-year-old, a newborn. I'm worse off financially than when I went in. We owe over six figures. I want to buy a house, because who doesn't want to buy a house? I remember when I came down to interview in Thousand Oaks, the person I was interviewing with drove me around the area. Of course, I was not familiar with the area, so he's showing me what the area is like. I like the trees much different from New York. And I like the houses, the land. And then I come to realize later on that those areas he was driving me through were North Ranch and Lake Shorewood. <laughs> of course, I didn't know that at the time. It was probably a good idea I didn't know that. So I come down here, and I'm looking at this debt. In the meantime, so we've got this six-figure debt. One of the main reasons we moved to Thousand Oaks was for the school district. Interestingly enough, God had other plans. He said, no, you know, I kind of want you guys to homeschool. Okay. Well, who's going to do the homeschooling? Because I have to go to work, and my wife has to... Oh, she's not going to work anymore. All right, well, that's a problem. I'm a new guy, new practice just starting things up. So we have no money saved. We have a bunch of debt. I've got two kids I need to feed, and our income just dropped in half. Like, okay, well, we're just going to make this happen. Not a big deal. And then the Lord decides he wants to teach me something. And in my walk with the Lord, I've always been open to whatever he wants to show me. In fact, I pray to him, Lord, show me where I'm not right and give me the grace to get right. So he starts showing me finances. Okay, well, I can get with that because I basically have nothing, so I don't really have anything to give. I've got a bunch of debt. And what I realized is God used that opportunity to show me, you're right, you don't own anything, and you never will because it's all mine. Okay, well, one of the things 
the Lord will show you some things, he'll tell you some things that you don't necessarily want to hear. So you mean all this debt and all that, I'm not going to own anything? All right, I'm listening. I don't quite get it, but I'm listening. So we're going to learn about financial stewardship. What's a steward? It's a person who manages someone else's property. All right, well, I don't have any property of my own, so I guess you're going to show me how to manage yours. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Okay, I got that. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Well, it's a good thing, Lord, would you mind throwing some of that my way right now? <laughs> Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Okay, nothing earth-shattering, I'm following him, great. He's the owner, somehow I'm going to be the manager. All right, so... There were two key passages in Scripture that transformed everything. I started learning about the tithe, Leviticus 27.30. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. All right, well... I don't have any crops, and I don't really have much to give you right now since I'm in the negative, so no big deal. I'm still listening, Lord. But then he hit me right between the eyes with Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Hmm. I never thought that I was robbing God. I mean, I have nothing to give. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Yeah, Lord, what are you talking about? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Okay, so I've been robbing you. I don't quite get it, but I'm listening. All right. But I still don't have anything to give, Lord. You see how much I make in a week. You see my expenses. I'm in the negative. If I, I'm barely making it as it is, but you want 10% of my barely making it as it is, I'm not going to make it. Here's the verse. Now test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Wow. Not room enough. I like that. Keep talking. <laughs> and I rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And then the second verse that just sealed it for me, Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Anyone here ever buy a powdered product? Okay, so when you get that container, it's not full, is it? I bought this powdered product before, and it was about two-thirds full. And I told my kids, where's the rest of it? Oh, settling may occur. Oh, settling. Well, the Lord addresses settling, see? A good measure, he's going to press it down. He's going to shake it together to make more room, and it's going to run over. And I thought, Lord, I like that promise. But here's the thing. In order for me to experience that, I need to test you, which means I need to take you at your word, which requires faith. Because it doesn't make sense to me. I have nothing. You want 10% of that nothing in order to give me more, in order to give me so much that there's no room to receive it. Okay, I'm going to do it. What have I got to lose? So I trusted the Lord and started doing 10%. Could I have done less? Yeah, but that would just mean I'm robbing God less. I don't like the idea of robbing God, so I decided we'll start with the 10%. And of course, the first question that comes, well, is it off the gross or off the net? All right, well... Lord, I'm going to trust you. We're going to go off the net, though. (laughs) So we're doing this. And one of the reasons you want to give is because God commands it. And if you want to be obedient, and I'm assuming everyone who's in here wants to hear from the Lord, and you want to obey, well, he commands us to do it. The second thing is, as I've just described, He promises a blessing. Now, got to clarify. If I give $1, that doesn't mean he's going to give me 10 back. He might. He might give 100. He might not give any money. He might give spiritual blessing. He might increase your faith. He might restore your marriage. I mean, there's a number of things, or he might do all of the above. See, during this time, although my wife and I never, ever, ever have had an argument about money, we had marital strife, struggles. And I was at a point that I wasn't even praying about it anymore. I was like, Lord, you know what it is. You know what to do with it. I'm going to leave it up to you. But over here, I can do something. So I'm going to start with the 10%. Let's roll with that. If we pay our debt to God first, because he wants the first fruits, not the leftovers, Because here's what happens. You get your check. You've got all your expenses. If you run through all of that, a funny thing happens at the end. There's not enough left. So you run into a problem because you can't give the 10%. If you start off with that 10% and don't even see it, so essentially what I ended up doing was auto pay. I don't even want to see it. It's gone. Then I can deal with the rest. Now, If you pay your debt to God first, he's going to allow you to pay your debt to men second. But when you rob God to pay man, you're in a problem. You're never going to have enough, and it's a downward spiral. Third reason you want to give. Giving frees you up to serve the Lord. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. 
you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay? I, I could see where that would be a problem. Fourth reason you want to give. It is absolutely the best investment of your money. And don't take my word for it. We've got verses for that. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I like that. I'm putting my money somewhere. No one can touch it. And it can't rot. No moths. Okay. Matthew 10:42 And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple assuredly I say to you he shall by no means lose his reward Luke 14 But when you give a feast invite the poor the maimed the lame the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just God's just throwing his word at us. We just have to trust it. We have to believe in it. We have to test it. And God doesn't want us to test his word for his sake. It's for our sake. Because once you've tested it, you will realize it is true. And you can bank on it. Jim Elliott even said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Jesus is warning us about treasures on earth. You can have treasures on earth, but they're not necessarily going to last. Someone might take them. You might lose them. It's better to lay up treasures in heaven. So once you realize that the value of your money and possessions are temporary, pretty much just as long as you're alive, that should give you a reason to change your investment strategy. Another reason for giving. Giving leads to real living. Because here's the thing. When you chase after money and possessions, it's never enough. It doesn't matter how much you have. It's never enough. I got the iPhone. I want the iPhone 4. I want the 4S. I want the 5. I want the 6. I got the iPad. 1, 2, 3, 4. It, it never stops. And companies know that. That's why every year they come out with a new model. Cars. I mean, there's a number of things. It's never enough. But here's real living. 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world. So I just want to clarify rich. Everyone in this room right now, you're rich. If you don't believe me, Buy yourself a ticket to any third world country you choose, touch down, and you will know what I'm talking about. The rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put, put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, when we're chasing after stuff, we're never happy. You get the stuff, whatever it is. The first few months, 
yeah, you get some enjoyment. I won't deny that. But after a while, it's just not enough. It ceases to satisfy. Now, another thing about giving and our attitude towards money in general is it reveals to us, because God already knows, our spiritual condition. So a lot of people came to John the Baptist to be baptized. And John the Baptist called them brood of vipers, first of all. Then after they were convicted, they asked him, what shall we do? He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. But wait, I'm talking about turning away from my sins, but you're talking about giving. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Hmm. Content with your wages. Again, repentance. How do I show the fruit of repentance? Well, in my attitude towards money and possessions. Luke 19, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He was touched by the Lord. He repented of his ways by giving. And Jesus himself says, today salvation has come. Giving is an act of worship. Exodus 36 and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. They gave more than was necessary. First Chronicles 29, David looked at what he and the people were giving to the Lord and it humbled him. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Giving is a response to God's grace. Second Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. In light of everything the Lord has done for us, obviously we could never repay him, but we want to worship him in every possible way. And one of the ways where we struggle is with our finances. It's an act of worship. It is a response to the grace that he's already given us. So what are some of the consequences of not giving? Proverbs 21. If a man shuts his ears to the cries of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Okay, so I start giving. My wife's on board with this. We're, we're one. We start giving. We moved here in 2002. 
we start looking at housing just for fun, because <laughs> we start seeing prices and going, that's just not going to happen. But I, I still dream, because what harm is that? Within in a year, actually, interestingly enough, the Lord gives us a house we could not afford. There's absolutely no way. A year later, he helps me to open a new business. A year after that, my marriage is on the upswing. And I'm thinking, you know, Lord, I think there's a correlation with what I'm doing and what you're doing. So what happens when you want more of the same? You do more of the same. So I'm thinking, okay, well, 10% was a good place to start. But if the Lord's doing all this, let's do more. Because sometimes we prevent the Lord from doing things because we're not obedient. What are some of the roadblocks to giving? Well, there are a few. Greed being one of them. Luke 12, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. First Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Another roadblock. We forget that earthly treasures don't last. Now, I like earthly treasures just like anybody else does. Okay? I see the fancy cars. I've been introduced to certain name brands I never knew about through some of my employees. Tory Burch, Louis Vuitton, all these other things. You want, how much does that purse cost? That purse better be making some money for me to spend that. That's not happening. And the thing is, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can spend the money on that, and I'm not here to condemn anyone, please understand. What I'm trying to get you to do is to look at those resources that God has given you as his resources and how he wants you to spend them. Hey, if he wants you to have a closet full of Louis Vuitton, who am I to say? That's between you and him. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Psalm 49. 2 Peter 3. This is the thing we forget. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and everything in them will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Everything we've got. 
We're either going to leave it or it's going to leave us. Anyone in here remember what you got for Christmas? Anyone? Anyone remember what you got for your birthday? I'm not advocating not giving gifts. I'm just advocating looking at it differently. The other thing is we don't understand heavenly treasure. So you've got the two parables. The one man who goes through the field finds this buried treasure. He's joyful to sell everything that he has to come and buy it. And then you've got this other parable, this rich man who wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, hey, if you want to be perfect, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And he walks away dejected because he had so much stuff. The difference between these two guys, the guy with all the possessions doesn't understand what he's trading in for. He doesn't understand that what Jesus is offering him is far better than what he has. Whereas the man who buys the field, he gets it. I'm going to give away everything because this is priceless. We don't get that. What does treasure in heaven include? Several things. Power, and the Lord describes how we will be rulers over cities. Possessions, treasure in heaven, and pleasures. In your presence is the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He promises a 100-fold return for what we give up. 100-fold. 10,000%. There's no stock market giving you that much. And then the other thing we forget, we're not citizens of the earth. We're ambassadors for Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So why has God provided us with so much? Very simple. 2 Corinthians 9 gives you the answer. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's why he gives it to us so we can be generous. So let's hear from a few people, some of the richest people in the world and what they had to say about finances. And I'll close with that. W.H. Vanderbilt, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. John Astor, he was the richest man in the world at the time when he went down with the Titanic. His net worth was $150 million in 1912, which is the equivalent to $3.5 billion today. This is what he had to say. I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford, net worth $195 billion. Yes, with a B. Billion. I was happier when doing a mechanics job. Andrew Carnegie. At the time of his death in 1919, his net worth was the equivalent of $310 billion in today's dollars, making him the second richest American to ever live. He had this to say, millionaires seldom smile. 
John D. Rockefeller, net worth $663 billion. Gates, nothing. This guy had it all. The wealthiest American in US history. I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. The words telling you, people are telling you. It's not what we think it is. And of course, Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, right? I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Whoever loves money, this is still Solomon speaking in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. So the more you get, you're going to find out you have a lot of friends. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune. Naked, a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. So the only way to cure all of that, ask the Lord to help you to view your finances through his perspective. And I encourage you, I can't encourage you enough. If you're not already tithing, and again, listen, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. But there's something he wants to give you. I don't know what that something is. It may be money. It may be spiritual gifts. I don't know. But you're holding your own progress back by not reaching into your wallet and starting. You can start with the 10%. God will meet you where you are. But once you start doing that and you start seeing the fruit in your life, you can't outgive them. Just remember, it's not ours, it's his. He lets us use it. He wants to bless others through it. And he wants to bless you. Thanks, Pete.